Welcome, listeners, to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light cast. We're back and better than ever. Uh, just a quick programming note. The plan for this show going forward is we're going to release our episodes on Wednesdays. So set your podcast schedules accordingly. We hope everybody had a great fourth. We're ready to get back into it tonight. I'm Austin Keeney. I'm going to attempt to run the show. But as always, I could not do it without my colleagues here. We're going to go ahead and bring them in. We've got a lot of great topics to talk about tonight. Uh, you're going to want to stick around for the interview that Dylan and I recorded with Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Great discussion about Iowa State. Some college football analytics, Sam Ellinger, Charlie Kohler, uh, Oklahoma, and the Big 12's national perception. Lots of great stuff. So make sure you stick around for that. And like I said, let's go ahead and bring on my co-host for the evening. We've got Ryan Stivers. We've got Dylan Kuhn. Today, they played the role of investigative reporter. <laughs> for those of you that haven't been on the site, why don't you guys tell us about what you were doing? Yeah, so actually Dylan did a lot of a uh, lot of legwork as far as finding out what the scoop was. He had a couple sources that led us to what happened. Really dug in deep in getting into the nuts and bolts of the situation. Really, I did nothing more than try to piece together all the reports that he found from um, basically the the murmurs and the rumors that we had heard. And, you know, we were very happy to be the first to report as to what happened. And, you know, there were a lot of people that were very excited. A lot of moms who are chilling out at home. Uh, a lot of college women who are very excited. We put together this wonderful piece about, uh, I would, the best I could say it is that Matt Campbell's doing something very exciting. Wouldn't you say, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, he, he took leadership a few months ago. Um, the athletic <laughs> department had a cut cut some payment and you know everyone needs to generate some income and matt campbell decided to start an only fans account and i've already subscribed i don't know about you guys but i would not be more excited to watch about watch that guy talk about football chew mm -hmm. some gum i mean i i can't think of anything better to put a 20 dollar subscription to yeah, A1 Day 1's right here. You know, as soon as, you know, Dylan and I sat down, we had to watch the, you know, like I said, we watched the interview via Cam Soda. It was on Pornhub, and we sat down, and we checked it out real quick and, you know, followed along with what he was saying. And really, he got into kind of the nitty-gritty as to what we could expect from his website, and we found it very interesting as to kind of the – Let's say the content that he's going to be pushing out of there, you know, uh, Manning working the camera was a little awkward, kind of had to deal with his grunts and sniffs and sneezes every now and again. But, you know, we kind of got through it and we we're very excited to find out what's going to happen going forward. Now, is there any truth to the rumor that a lot of the content is just going to be like positional workouts of the tight ends? I mean, it's it's no question that Matt Campbell loves his tight ends. I, I'm sure that will get featured. Um, what I, what I have just on loop right now is just that that's what a lead is speech. That was one of the first things he posted on there. And I've just had that playing basically nonstop. Yeah. Count me in for when, uh, John Heacock pulls out the whiteboard and starts drawing up some defensive schematics. We're definitely excited for the, uh, the tight end aspect of it. You know, nothing keeps an offense tighter than an end that's clenched and can do things that, you know, 
normally outside of what an offense consists of. Uh, a multifaceted tight end, if you will. Absolutely, yeah. One that, uh, a tight end that you could really use for multiple purposes. Yep. Now, the thing we're going to be on the lookout for is the NCAA snooping around. Let's just make sure none of that money makes it to uh, Brock Purdy for mullet care products. True. That, that's we as newly investigative journalists, we will we will be high on that mark, making sure all of this money is clean. It was a lot of big J journalism that went down into this report, to be honest. Really, we had to kind of filter things through, make sure everything was good to go. You know, he can donate things as he sees fit. You know, he can help out with the coaching staff and things like that. But we don't want to worry about the kickbacks. We don't want to worry about, you know, any players getting paid or a sexy pomade going into a man's hair. We're just more focused on the content than anything else. I'm just saying, let's be on the lookout for any FOIA requests that go Jamie Pollard's way about where the money's heading. So, uh, you mean the, sex, the sexiest the man in names? I, I'd probably subscribe to Campbell ahead of Jamie. Nothing against him. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, to each their own. Yeah. So, great piece on the site. Make sure you get out there and take a look. Uh, I know the guys worked on that, and it came out fantastic. Uh, something else that might not be as fantastic is the return of the National Basketball Association. We are about, let's say, three weeks away from the anticipated return of the NBA. I got to say, I've, I've been skeptical of the Orlando bubble, but when I saw those practice courts going up in the ballroom, I got really excited. So some storylines from around the association of the last week. Some bigger stars have kind of opted out of teams that don't realistically have a chance of winning anything. So Vic Oladipo's out. He's going to be rehabbing. Bradley Beal's not going to play. Uh, America's favorite segment is back for another go-round. It's called Dylan's Brooklyn Nets Minute. And <laughs> just because the Nets will not stop giving us uh, headlines here heading into the bubble. True. So, yeah, I'll give you a reason to care about the Nets uh, this week. Um, they're trending number two last time I checked on Twitter right now, and it's mostly because no one is going to be there for the bubble. Currently, they have Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, Wilson Chandler, Nick Claxton, Spencer Dinwiddie, and now Torian Prince all ruled out of the Orlando bubble. So, uh, basically, I I've seen some tweets. Uh, let's just combine the Nets and Wizards, call it good, and put them at the eighth in the east. I think that's the best way to go about it right now. The Nets literally have a G League squad plus like Chaos Levert at the moment. And I'm not even sure if that guy's going to play because he's going to look around, see that he's surrounded by like a team that would be better off in like the, the Estonian National Basketball League. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not big on the Nets come come the end of July. So I sent Dylan a text actually beforehand and I told him my conspiracy theory was that guys are sitting for the Nets right now um, only to protect the offer that they're going to try to make for Bradley Beal in a trade in order to entice Greg Popovich to come to Brooklyn. Because there's, if, if you follow any Twitter threads or NBA Reddit threads, there's a lot of heat coming right now that there's a quote-unquote grandfather offer – or godfather offer – uh, coming to Greg Popovich to come coach the Nets for, what was it, one or two years? It's think, one of the two. I, I've seen on NBA Red, I've seen one year get passed okay. out, just like yeah. all in for next year's like championship yeah. run. So the, the conspiracy theory that I texted him was everybody's sitting 
right now because they're getting ready to make an offer for Beal to bring Beal to Brooklyn in order to entice Pop to leave San Antonio and coach him for one year for a title. Now, whether that's true or not, I cannot verify. It's very deep into the corners of conspiracy theory, NBA Reddit, conspiracy theory, uh, you know, uh, NBA Twitter. It's it's kind of like down in there at the moment, but there's a little traction to it, I think. Uh, it's been talked about a lot. Nobody needs the NBA back more than NBA Reddit. <laughs> yes. But I will <laughs> say, I know Jay-Z is not technically a part owner of the Nets anymore, but I think it's more likely that he coaches the team next year than Greg I think my grand question about the Nets right now is, who's the most hilarious player that they could bring on to go play in the bubble? Oof. What's Del Vadova doing? Uh, who? Uh, Jimmer for dead. I'd yeah, like to see him get a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like just going through TBT. I hope just like the next GM is watching. Maybe pick a couple guys up playing TBT right now. Uh, just someone like kind of in shape. Jamal Crawford. I just saw a tweet. I would actually love Jamal Crawford. I I love watching that guy play. I'd be totally down for that one. He's still healthy. I, I, as I know, yeah. Has anybody told? Jordan, that there's no way he could carry the Nets past the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I mean all the last he, dance yeah. talk. He's probably thinking, <laughs> you know what? I still have a little bit of game. I wouldn't disagree with it, honestly. I if if someone, someone told him, yeah, someone should tell him that he can't uh, be a successful GM in Charlotte, and then maybe he'd do a little better job. Where's uh, where's Quinn Brennan at right now? We just need him to tweet at Jordan like incessantly to get him to go play for the Nets for the next month <laughs> now, i'm not sure what the international travel situation is but i'm sure that like jared utah or aaron white probably doesn't have a lot going on i'm sure they'd be looking to pick up some, some I, game. I would rather the nets forfeit their season than uh, watch watch either of those guys watch them get adam woodbury on a 10-day contract in orlando i think they could probably pick up bohan if you wanted to declare I'll pass on all those guys. Yeah, <laughs> quite the declaration that would be. Uh, we'll also be on pins and needles for the eventual Luca Garza decision to either join the NBL down in Australia or come back to Iowa. For his <laughs> I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of discussion there for no, you know, for being honest. So <laughs> there's uh, one more NBA topic that I want to talk about before we move on to our next segment. And I'm just looking at the championship odds as things are starting to get a little bit more in place. And realistically, there's three pretty significant favorites. I just want to bat it around to you guys. And then we'll we'll see if there's a dark horse that's even worth taking a look at. So right now I've got the Lakers at about two to one, the Bucks at plus 275 or the Clippers at three to one. Where are you guys leaning right now as far as a favorite heading to Orlando? It's going to be tough to say, honestly. It's going to depend. Like right now, I would say the Lakers because we know that LeBron and AD are both going to go. But it will ultimately depend on who all shows up in that bubble. Because AD is technically an unrestricted free agent after this season. So if he wanted to sit that out and weigh his options to see what other contracts were available, it wouldn't shock me. So it will depend basically on all the news once everything happens, once we get there. I would, Just one thing that I found interesting lately is the like, so the Lakers have the best odds, plus mm-hmm. 180, but the BPI chance to win has the Bucks at 
an 83% chance, which is seems just crazy high. And then they have a plus 275 odds. If if I had to guess, I would say Bucks. I think Giannis is just a monster. I think this is his year. If there was an asterisk fight or not, when it's all said and done, that's kind of up for discussion. Um, and if I were to pick a dark horse, I would. I know I just picked the Bucks, but I, I would pick someone out of the East because if the Bucks fall, I think it's an absolute free fall in the East. I think a lot of teams could make it out if the Bucks somehow slip up early. Yeah, can't wait I, for. Oh, well, I can't wait for Tatum to win his first uh, Finals MVP this year. Yeah, you heard it here first. It'll definitely have an <laughs> asterisk bite if the Celtics somehow win this year. <laughs> I think those odds are definitely juiced. I mean, there's a reason the Lakers are the the favorite, and that's you know they're the public team. But I think we're being led to believe that the Bucks should be the championship favorites. I'm just not buying it. I don't like anybody on that team beyond Giannis to make a, an impact. And like, I remember the last time the Bucks and the Lakers played, and Giannis couldn't get to the rim as easily as he wanted, and they just kind of ran out of gas. And I could easily see that being a, a final series. So I'd I'd still be on the Lakers. I know the odds aren't great, but uh, dark horses, or really anybody beyond the the three favorites. You know, you got the Rockets at twelve to one, Boston at fourteen to one, Toronto at eighteen to one, Denver at twenty two to one, Philly at twenty two to one. My Dallas Mavericks are at thirty to one. Any any sort of longer shots that might be worth a, a small play. To be honest, I would go ahead and if I was gonna do it, I would I would really look at the Rockets. Like seriously, I would because it's gonna be a shorter series, less time, less time for both Brody and Harden to choke. They gotta play shorter minutes, so um, we know what Harden can do when he's completely electric in that time period. So I wouldn't discount the Rockets to make a very deep run right now. I'm not really buying this Rockets thing at all. I'm, I'm going to be heavily fading them when we get started. <laughs> so I, we'll I definitely the, be at odds there. The Brooklyn Nets at 60 to one is an interesting, um, of course it, it is. If yeah. you want to, if you want to look at a true Cinderella story, I can't think of a better story for the NBA to have <laughs> the down and out Brooklyn Nets take the, NBA bubble by storm and and really have a championship run this year. So you know maybe just a couple dollars. I wouldn't I wouldn't put a huge investment in it, but it's it's something to ponder. Thanks for contributing to the conversation. This is super helpful. <laughs> so of course uh, my Dallas Mavericks. I'm gonna be I, I can I can see myself sprinkling something on that. But a, a serious answer: if a team's gonna get out of the East that's not Milwaukee, I could easily see it being Toronto again. Yeah, I, that that I look, is the one that stands out to me. I, a lot of the Raptors players have come forward, and I mean, yeah. I don't know what else they're supposed to say, but you know, they said they're ready to gear up for a second run. They're obviously a different team than they were last year without Kawhi, but they've been there. They have experience. They have veterans. Pascal Siakam is a great, like, uh, kind of a rising star in the NBA. Um, if there was a team to kind of, you know, take that away from the Bucks, it's probably the Raptors. Cough, bullshit. Cough, cough, cough. Well. 18 to one. I think they're the second best team in the East. So, <laughs> okay. Well, just right. keep your eyes peeled. We're getting close. We'll, and better on the Celtics. We're going to keep covering the NBA as it gets closer to the return and more stories come out. Right. And we've got one more segment before we lead into our interview. We, we've brought this out before. We're going to dust this off. Uh, it's been sitting in the basement in the corner for a while, but with the return of sports about to come up, uh, we wanted to bring back one of our favorites. It's called tweet checks. So it's been quite a week online. Every week's quite the week online, but this week specifically, we had a couple of hot takes we really wanted to share with you. Uh, you be the judge if these are good or bad. 
Let's go ahead and bat it around the room, though. Dylan, lead us off. Okay, so I got one. It's and it's it's close to my heart. I on NCAA. So Big Cat, the original tweet is, "How do you stop the triple option NCAA 14?" Um, the answer is you don't. I had a dynasty with Southern Methodist, ran the triple option for like 15 years, won natty after natty. Um, popular anonymous Iowa Hawkeye account Hawkeyes with a Z uh, <laughs> just tweeted a gif of some Hawkeye stomping around. And then we got Josh H E S P E N, Josh H Espen maybe. Um, and he commented on Hawkeyes' uh, gif there. He's trying to win Natty's, not the Gator Bowl, and good God almighty. So that tweet got 338 likes. Hawkeye's tweet, original tweet, got 252 likes. So just got shown up by one of the comments, and yikes. Just just Tough an look. absolute poster dunk on Twitter yep. right there. Tough I, think by the, I think by the rules of Twitter, that means that uh, that guy gets to run the Hawkeye's account from now on. I do I believe that's, that's how, how that works. Yep. Correct. Yeah, I think that's how that goes down. Mr. Stivers, your so, check. So mine actually, so mine was also Hawkeye related initially, but I'm not going to step on Dylan's toes. Mine's actually going to go to Hilltop Hoops, whom I quote tweeted earlier because they posted a shot of Ben Simmons working out before he heads down to Orlando, and it says, "Looks like Bill Sim- or looks like Ben Simmons expanded on his range during his time off, and he's taken nine foot jumpers." Yeah. So for those of you, too, it's not like they're yeah. good-looking jumpers either. Nope, agreed. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know anything about Ben Simmons, not a jumper guy, not, not, not the type of guy who you would ever. So it's that time of year where I get the NBA workout videos where it's Ben Simmons can shoot threes because he's in a gym where nobody's guarding him, and it's just like him popping shots off. So tweet check to Hilltop Hoops in saying that Ben Simmons can shoot because. I'll believe it when it actually happens based on the fact that he has taken as of right now. And I looked this up earlier. I think it's like one, three, a season average since he's been in the NBA. Yeah. That video is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Like if he pulls off the step back, one handed eight foot jump shot in the bubble, it's probably going to end up like four courts (laughs) over. (laughs) Yeah. So tweet check to uh, Hilltop hoops for saying that uh, Ben Simmons extended his range because no, he did not. <laughs> All right. I'm going to bring this thing home with a tweet check from our, uh, I don't know, not a friend of the pod at the moment, hopefully someday, Tom Fornelli, if you guys yeah, follow him. Yeah, be great. Uh, this is about the uh, quarterback extension market. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to read this verbatim. Uh, I know Mahomes is great, but you have to wonder if KC will regret locking him up that long before finding out whether or not Mitch Trubisky comes onto the market. You, so, you feel bad. I don't think, yeah, yeah, I feel I bad for you, man. Yeah, that's tough. That's a that's a bad look. I saw. <laughs> I, I do enjoy the spin zone because all I've seen for the last two plus years on any NFL corner is the Mitch Trubisky, uh, Pat Mahomes comparison. So mm-hmm. props to Tom for trying to spin it in our direction. Uh, Pat Mahomes also lost sixty six to ten to Iowa State one time. I, <laughs> I don't know if people brought <laughs> up that. People yeah, they do. <laughs> also it's another. Good thing for your Bears here, Keeney. They saved, what, like $400 million? So, props to them. <laughs> I don't know. I know we declined the fifth-year option on Mitch, but there's potential for him to play this year. You know, that, like, 15-year, $1 billion extension is still out there <laughs> waiting for him if he goes out and earns it. So, would you rather not have Mitch Trubisky or spend half a billion dollars on Pat Mahomes? I guess that's, is how you look at that. 
That's, I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm excited for David Montgomery to carry the ball like 40 times a game this year, I hope. And, and then not he'll, he'll hold up the whole way because I know David Montgomery is just a man out on the field. What well, sucks about that is the running back market, they never get paid for that, though. Uh, yeah, you know, you got to really stand like out. This, this will be his year. Hopefully the line's better, too. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, those are our tweet checks. We, uh, yeah, we want to keep it short this week because we've got this fantastic interview about to come your way. Like I said, Brett Ciancia, pick six previews, talking Iowa State football, timely. I sure hope football happens this fall. But, uh, yeah, please stick around. Hey, everybody. We could never forget to thank our loyal sponsor, Estas Bar and Grill, right there on Campus Town and Ames. They've been great to us, especially throughout the pandemic. So please remember to support them, especially once uh, hopefully Iowa State football season comes back around. Great beer, great tacos, great atmosphere. Estas Bar and Grill, Campus Town, great sponsor of the Lightcast. We now welcome on a very special guest, uh, one of the better guests maybe that we've ever been able to get. It is Brett Ciancia, better known as Pick Six Previews on Twitter. He is a college football writer. His book for the 2020 season just came out, uh, he said, about 10 days ago. Also a prolific podcast guest. Uh, we were just talking about this. How many how many pods have you done in the last week and a half, he said? Yeah, it, it's crazy. So I spend five months building this book and you know putting every second into it. And then once it goes, uh, once it launches on sale, then you flip a switch and it just turns into uh, straight podcasting and radio. It's talking season. So, um, you know, loving every second of it. It's been 40 shows in 10 days. <laughs> We're very appreciative that uh, take a little bit of time to talk about Iowa State. How does it uh, feel having the book out there? Like, are you excited to be done with it? Are you kind of looking forward to what people have to say? Or are you just like really relieved to be done with it? Yeah, it's just a crazy grind. I mean, I start this thing back right as the, the prior season ends. I, you know, I start breaking down film, uh, running my advanced stats, my numbers. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in springtime, having calls with coaches and coordinators. Uh, this year, I did lose out on spring ball. I'm one of those guys. I watch every single spring game I can get my hands on. Uh, not so much to see, you know, did, did red or yellow win the game. It's to see, you know, the early enrollee freshmen, uh, the new coaching schemes, rising starters, that kind of thing. So without that, um, I'm having to rely a little bit more on coach continuity and roster continuity, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's definitely a relief getting it done. Um, but now, like I said, it's just, uh, it's, it's almost as aggressive of a pace because you got to flip over to the radio podcast, uh, the kind of the marketing angle of it. So this is a one man operation, pick six previews. So, uh, I'm doing everything from the writing, the graphics, the design, you know, the, the, the Twitter. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's everything, uh, everything covered, but I'm excited. Yeah. Pretty incredible stuff, especially if you're following them on Twitter. And if you're not yet, you you better get to start. And uh, I guess, and and knowing that you normally do spring games, this puts Iowa State on an equal footing with everyone else because we haven't had a spring game for a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one year, well, it usually rains, I think is the case. And then this yep. last year, we just kind of decided, you know, screw it. We're not going to have one. Um, wanted to start us off with kind of a higher level question here. I know you're not a medical expert, but we're about eight weeks from when we would expect the college football season to start. You know, just your best guess. Do you think the season's going to start on time? And what do you think about having fans in the stands? 
Yeah, well, I guess my take on this is, um, you know, I, I, I'm wary of people that are, are speaking in definitives about September. Um, you know, you see these college football national guys. I mean, every day they're just trying to get some articles out there. I don't know, maybe they're using a little bit of fear at times. Um, I don't know. It's just it's inconsistent. So I try and stay out of that. Uh, I'm an optimist. So, I mean, the optimist in me is thinking that maybe, you know, if it's feasible, if the health is feasible of the 85 players and uh, of the coaching staff and the, you know, the the auxiliary personnel, if it's feasible, if people can stay healthy, uh, I think we can get the games in um, fans. I think that that might be a different issue. I mean, we're talking 100,000 people packing into a stadium and, you know, even more than that, double than that in the parking lot uh, tailgating. Um, I just I don't know about that part of it. But um, again, if there's a way to, to make it happen without risking, you know, sickness or or health, because that's obviously more important. But if there's a way we got to get this season in, I think the, the country needs it. Yeah, I, not, I, go ahead. Sorry, you're not going to get a complaint here. Uh, go ahead, Dell. Yeah, I was just saying, uh, do you think did your predictions change at all? Did you take into account um, kind of the home home field advantage that some teams may or may not have? Did that come into your mind at all when you were making uh, this year's preview? Yeah, I, I really didn't uh, factor much um, virus stuff in, to be honest, because I started at first I started thinking about that kind of stuff and it, you just turn yourself into just crazy mental gymnastics, trying to look at every what if scenario. And then like, what if, you know, a certain non-conference game is canceled or what if it, it was just going crazy. So I just said, you know what, I got to just go as if it's a normal season. Uh, there's already a million variables in college football. I don't have room to add more. So, um, and who knows? I mean, if we're talking uh, no fans in the stands, there might still be a, a decent home field advantage just to be on campus on your home site. Who knows what kind of testing is going to be in place. Um, it might be, a, you know, a challenge traveling. I don't really know that kind of stuff. So I'm just kind of throwing those variables out, to be honest. Um, I know it's not the most exciting answer for a podcast, but I'm just being realistic here. I'm not a medical expert, like you said. And, um, you know, I, I try not to speak in definitives like I see some others um, who don't really even have, have a clue what they're talking about, talking in definitives. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's something that's very complex. It, you know, it's unprecedented. Um, it, it develops day to day, week to week. So we're just going to have to wait and see. Well, if we were going to try and trap you on the record, I guess we, we didn't quite succeed on that. <laughs> I, the home field advantage question is really interesting, though, because you're pretty big on the analytics and the advanced stats for sure. What kind of factor is home field advantage when you're looking at the quality of a team? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think more so that comes into my week to week kind of picks I do. Um, I factor that into my formula when I'm when I'm setting the spreads for games, that kind of thing, week to week. Um, but in terms of a season outlook, um, yeah, it plays a little bit in if it's something extreme where you see, you know, so I'll, I'll take Oregon, for example. Um, I was looking at their Pac-12 slate and it turns out their three hardest Pac-12 opponents are all coming to, to Eugene. So three home games there. So I, I guess in, um, you know, in extreme cases, it's valuable. But for the most part, when I'm trying to, to grade teams and such, it's um it mostly shakes out in the wash. Sure. The reason for asking that is because one of my favorite things I've heard you say is that, you know, Iowa State is kind of a, a hidden gem in the college football world and we're a knowledgeable and passionate fan base. And, a, you know, I think Jack Trice specifically can create a great advantage, especially if it's, you know, like one of those like cold November nights. I, I've felt like the Big 12 has always been hesitant to send like Oklahoma up here in November. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know, like I, I'm sure you've been in Maybe not two aims, but like seeing the impact that Jack Trice can have on a game. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, last week I was on Cyclone Fanatic uh, podcast um, and I was I was surprised. That was the first Iowa State show I've done in, in all these years. I was pretty excited for it because uh, just from being on Twitter with everybody the last eight years, I just have seen how, pa- uh, you know, like, like you said, passionate, knowledgeable uh, Iowa State is. And now with a finally a competitive team, it's almost like this hidden gem that no one's covering nationally or talking about. So I'm trying to fill that void. Um you know, I, I was high on them last year. I'm high on them this year, top 20. Um, but yeah, specifically with Jack Trice, that's on my short list of uh, places because, you know, a lot of a lot of people want to go see the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl for the UCLA game. I don't. I mean, I'm kind of tired of going to these pro cities. They're all pretty much the same. I like going to the small college towns, the capital cities, uh, stuff like that, where where football is king, where where college athletics are king. Uh, and it really matters to the people there. So, I mean, that, and Iowa State fits that bill. I have a lot of respect for that uh, just because you guys match the passion I have. You know, it's, it'll be the middle of February and I'll be scrolling through and I see Iowa, you know, I- Iowa and Iowa State fans are arguing about something petty. And you know what? I freaking love that because that shows that you guys care as much as I do. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a decent home field advantage. A little bit smaller, but that doesn't matter because uh, when that place is packed and rocking, uh, it reminds me of kind of like a Utah, you know, when they when they sell their they've been selling out their crowd for five, five, ten years. And uh, size of stadium doesn't matter as much as you think, as, as long as it's, uh, you know, filled and rowdy and, uh, and passionate. So, yeah, it's exciting to see Iowa State emerge. If you ever do make the, the trip to Ames, make sure you get here plenty early because tailgating in Ames is is a different animal. See, I love to hear that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I went up to a game at Boston College. And uh, they they only allowed tailgating three hours before kickoff. And I'm thinking, what is this, like high school football? Like, I don't understand. Uh, it's some kind of Boston city limits thing. So, again, maybe try and get out of the pro cities a little bit, get down to these college towns and really live it up because that, that's true college football right there. That's good to hear. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit here. So like, what really got us together, and I don't know if I would call this a beef that Iowa State fans have with you, just maybe more of a curiosity. So – you put out your four All-American teams and four tight ends on there. None of them are named Charlie Kohler. So I need to hear you defend yourself and also tell us if you think there are actually four tight ends better than Charlie Kohler in college football. Yeah, it's uh, I know it got some attention from the Iowa State base, and it's really no knock on him. I think first I'll talk Iowa State program level. you got to remember when Matt Campbell took over here, I don't think there was a single tight end on scholarship on the roster. It was just a, an, an empty position group. So for him to have built this up to not only have one or two, but even three guys got mentioned last year on the All-Big 12 teams, um, with Charlie Kolar, Chase Allen, and then even Dylan Sainer got in there. Um, so it's just incredible what he's done to build up that pipeline. So And then specifically uh, with Kolar on the national stage, yeah, so here are my guys I had. I had uh, first team Kyle Pitts at Florida, uh, second team Pat Fryermuth, Penn State. Uh, I have Brevin Jordan, Miami, third team, and Brent Keith at Utah, fourth team. So – I'm pretty set on those top three. I, I really think they take uh, huge steps and are, you know, foundational parts of their teams. Uh, not to say that that uh, that Kolar is not. I think the beef could be with Brand Keithy if, if we had to if we had to dig into it a bit. Um, I have him there because he's such a unique player. They get him involved in the run game. Um, I never heard of a tight end getting not just one but three rushing touchdowns. It's it's pretty unique how they use him. So kind of an outlier there. I just think of him as kind of a weapon for that offense. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, Kolar's right there. And then if, if it's any consolation to um, Iowa State fans, not only the first um, first team all Big 12, but also the second uh, team all Big 12. I have both as Iowa State tight ends. So that's got to be 
that's got to be pretty rare to see. It is a pretty nice little consolation. I, I just wanted to hear you say that again and talk about the best tight end group in the country because there's a, a particular school that's about two hours east of Ames that really likes to lay claim to being like the spot for tight ends. So can you just say that one more time for the record? Well, yeah, that's a little bit of a trap, I'll say. Because <laughs> uh, with, uh, with Iowa, I'd say in the last 10, 20 years, they, they definitely have a claim to that. You saw what they did in the, uh, the 2019 NFL draft there. Two guys and two tight ends in the top, I think 40 picks or something. Um, so maybe over a longer scope, I give it to Iowa, but for 2020, how could you not give it to Iowa state? I mean, Iowa state is uh, tight end U of 2020. I'll, I'll say that, uh, for sure. Yeah, we, we love to hear that because that, that team out East really, really likes to claim their tight ends. Um, another, another spot where you might get some heat from Iowa state fans is the all big 12 quarterback selection. Um, you have Ellinger on, on the first team and Purdy on the second team. Is, is there any, any, did, how, how long did that decision take? Was, was it a quick one where you thought Ellinger was kind of the surefire best quarterback in the big 12, or were you kind of going back and forth between those two? No, yeah, this actually was a back and forth. Um, so this is pretty tough. So what, what goes into my book is, like I said, a ton of film study. It's a, and it ends up being over a thousand hours total, but it's part of its film study uh, calls with coaches and coordinators calls with beat writers uh, you know, game notes, practice notes, analytics, everything. So um, one thing I did, I, I tuned into local podcasts all across the country to try and get down to the details. Uh, the guys, they're an Oklahoma State podcast. The guys at um, Tape Doesn't Lie or Tape Never Lies, something like that. Uh, they did a great, great episode. It was about two hours long, and they broke down every single Big 12 quarterback starter, um, you know, all 10 of them. So what I did was I put up, you know, their highlight package and then listened to what these guys also had to say and and dug through it, and I actually thought I had a gem putting uh, Purdy second. That's the kind of thing I thought. I thought putting Purdy second was was pretty nice. Um, like I said, you know, Charlie Brewer's in the discussion. Spencer Sanders, I expect big things from in a second year if he can hold on to if he can learn to hold on to the football. Um, but yeah, so with each one, I'll break them down. With with Brock Purdy, uh, super efficient, uh, super accurate. Um, you know, he does throw off his back foot a bit, but to his credit, actually, it's, it's almost like that's a positive for him. It's like one of those things where it looks like a fault, but he's actually amazing at it. Um, uh, you know, and then also he's got enough foot speed and mobility and creativity to create to create um, and extend plays. So, um, yeah, except for that, uh, there was that fourth quarter against Oklahoma, I believe. No, not Oklahoma. Um, I got to double check. There was there was one really bad fourth quarter with three picks. Uh, that was like, and I remember thinking that's really uncharacteristic of the guy. So it ended up being actually a compliment, but, um, no, I like Purdy a lot, and, but the difference with, uh, with Sam Ellinger. So they're actually pretty equal on passing stats. If you look at it, they're both around that 65%, um, you know, completion rate. And then, uh, with touchdowns, they were both about 30 and 10, uh, touchdowns, to picks, that kind of thing, a three to one deal. So very similar passing wise, but what Ellinger brings in the run game is undeniable. It's almost like having a tight end back there. Um, He's able to shoulder 10, 12, 15 carries a game, grind down defenses if he needs to. Uh, so that, that's kind of the thing is nationally, people just look at that as like, oh, yeah, he's just Tim Tebow. He runs the ball 20 times a game. But really, I think of it as the opposite. Ellinger is a great passer, uh, damn good passer, but is able to also lower the shoulder. So in a really tight battle there, um, I gave the nod to Ellinger. Um, sometimes I do factor in surrounding cast a bit. And that's not to knock on, uh, not to knock on Hall or the receivers or the tight ends. I think uh, up front I saw kind of a difference where uh, Texas, it's actually a strength this year. It's rare for Texas to have a strong offensive line. 
it's a strength there. And then kind of a question mark if there were any on Iowa State's offense. So, uh, yeah, a lot went into it. it. I think they're really they're both really great quarterbacks. Um, you'll see that they both rated highly in my my national unit ranks. I, you know, I, I ranked the, uh, the quarterbacks, running backs, all those. Uh, so both ranked highly there. Uh, wouldn't take it as, as much of a uh, shot as you know, you'd initially think. Yeah, I promise we're not even trying to like trap you or attack you. Uh, <laughs> no, I love talking about this stuff. No, no trap. It was, um, yeah, these. I mean, hey, the Big Twelve is it's always loaded with offense. It's it's hard to because if you put some of these guys in other divisions and other leagues, it's like they'd win at all the first team spots. So it's just tough. Well, I think one of the things we saw with Purdy last year is he was a little bit banged up. So I think the the coaching staff was a little more hesitant to you know really give him designed runs or you know kind of those those replays where he would he would go out and keep it. So I. I think he's got a little more capability as a rusher that maybe he just didn't show last year. Yeah, no, definitely. That, that could definitely uh, happen here. Um, he might have to be forced. He might be forced to run a bit more um, as the new offensive line molds together. But um, speaking of the O line, one thing I note in there is that, you know, say five years ago, um, so much roster turnover on the, on the line would be, a, you know, enough to cripple the Iowa State's de- uh, offense. But What's happened here is with Matt Campbell's increased recruiting level, uh, it's more of a luxury now. You're able to plug in guys a bit quicker and, and, and avoid some of that um, roster collapse year to year. So that's something you're going to start to see in the trenches. Uh, you've been doing it at receiver for I don't know how many years now where you know most national guys are writing them off right away because um, you know, the star receiver is left. Like, oh, you know, Alan Lazard's gone. They're done. Or um, you know, Hakeem Butler's gone. They're done. But, yeah, they keep reloading. So it, it, it's uh, – it's more a compliment to what Campbell has done there uh, in recruiting and scheme. Um, and another thing, let's not, let's put this in context too. Cause part of my book I like to do is program context, right? Because winning eight games at Iowa state is a lot different than winning eight at Alabama. Um, and that's not a knock on, on what's happened here. It's more so looking at the you know 150 years of college football history. It's, it's unprecedented, right? So um, the 10 years before Matt Campbell took over at Iowa state, the passing attack averaged number 85. So, I mean, almost, a, you know, in the bottom tier there uh, as a passing program. Now you flip it here in 2020, they finished number 20 or uh, top 20 in passing. So, um, you know, you got to be able to look at that kind of context and, and really, really appreciate what's happening here. Yeah, I think if you would have looked at something like, say, the offensive line, you know, like telling Iowa State fans in 2014, like your, your quarterback is going to be really highly touted, maybe – not uh, or maybe they look at like the quarterback at Texas is doing a little bit more with less. Uh, it's a pretty, I, I think any, every single Iowa state fan would have signed up for that at that point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's funny because when I started this thing in 2012, it was almost a running joke. Um, we were, you know, I, I put Kansas 10th right away and Iowa state ninth right away. And it was just, you know, that was what you just penned in right away. Um, so it's, it's very, very interesting what's happened here the last four years and really, um, you know, we'll talk more about it, but uh, the, the defense really is, is kind of an outlier. I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by it. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the defense. Hecox scheme of kind of that five defensive back um, to combat the spread offense that's all over the Big 12. And now you're seeing, you know, bigger programs kind of adopt it or a version of it. You saw Clemson kind of um, tweak it a little bit, but they used basically the same scheme. And just how influential do you think that five defensive back scheme could change the landscape of college football? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, so when you think of the Big 12, the last 10, 20 years even, um, it's kind of the sandbox of creativity with with offensive schemes. You know, think of, um, I mean, you can go all the way back to the, the 2000 Oklahoma teams. 
um, even a step further than the old Nebraska option teams, Kansas State with Snyder. I mean, it was all just offensive innovation after innovation. Now into the 2010s, it was Art Bryles. Um, and then TCU had a couple years there with Sonny Cumbie and Meacham. Um, you know, it's just always, and now Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley again. So anyway, for a conference that's known for offensive innovation and being on the cutting edge of that, uh, Iowa State and really TCU have owned the defensive side and thrown some wild cards in there and some innovation there uh, to combat this stuff. And yeah, so I think um, I wrote in the book uh, that that uh, John Haycock is the most un- uh, most underrated defensive coordinator in America. I, I really believe that because not only is he doing this with, you know, like we'd said, by number 50 or number 40 raw recruiting ranking talent. You know, it's, it's not like the big boys with Oklahoma and Texas. So um, what he's doing with that, but then also the creativity. Yeah, he's going five DBs on the field, uh, mixing up coverages like that. Um, very disguised blitzes, pressures from all over the place, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's working. It's, it's, uh, it's acting as a neutralizer with some of these top 10 talent teams. Um, you know, you saw you had Oklahoma, you beat Oklahoma twice the last couple of years. You had them on the ropes again last year. Uh, so I think that's that's the resume itself right there that this defensive scheme is able to take on the other, uh, you know, cutting edge offenses. And um, and it's not just me saying it uh, last offseason. I think it was 40 coaches came through here through Ames, uh, both college and pro to come talk to Haycock, see his scheme, just watch what he's building, because, um, yeah, you know, those those coaches can see when, when something's cutting edge like that and um, they're taking notice. Yeah, I think Bill Belichick was one of those coaches that has been paying attention, or at least somebody from the Patriots. So if that's something yeah, that's happening, you, you know you're doing something right. Your first team all Big 12 defense is just littered with Iowa State guys. Uh, Mike Rose, Greg Eisworth, Anthony Johnson, Jaquan Bailey. Do you have a personal favorite out of those guys that you're really looking forward to watching on the field? I think the secondary overall. Um, so I guess I'll just say both uh, Eisworth and Johnson, uh, just what they do back there. Um, it'll be nice getting Bailey back. Um, so that, that's a boost, but yeah, just overall, just seeing how this scheme, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an X's and O's guy. I try and fit that more into the book than maybe some of the other preseason magazines. Um, you know, and that comes off through with my coach calls too, getting to talk to these guys. Um, I like putting some, um, you know, some scheme in there. So to see this three, three, five, only a handful of programs are running it. Uh, and most of them are just Rocky long disciples, the San Diego state coach. So to see it in the big 12 is fascinating. Um, and yeah, I think, I mean, that, the, the key position group is that secondary. So I'll give it to those two guys. Yeah, I have uh, another, this is kind of just a, just a hypothetical question, really. Uh, Oklahoma and Texas are kind of the two, you know, uh, blue blood, big 12 football programs. Um, but as well with Iowa State having a bunch of defense, all big 12 players, Oklahoma State was on there quite a bit, too. And I was just, I was wondering if you combine at the end of this season, if you combine Iowa State and Oklahoma State's win totals against Oklahoma and Texas win totals, which, which duo would you think would have more wins by the end of this season? Oh, that, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, you mentioned Oklahoma State's defense. This is not usually a side of the ball you'd expect from them. Um, but what, what happened last year was it, was it was an extremely young defense. Uh, it was Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, second year, so a little bit more scheme impl- implementation. And what happened from the halfway point, Oklahoma State's defense held their last five opponents under their scoring averages. It was actually a bright spot to close the year out. So I see all that. Uh, you know, the entire defense, 10 starters are back. They're top 10 in returning production. So I'm, gonna, I'm expecting that defense to not only stay at that, you know, that second half 2019 level, uh, but even increase. So 
Um, yeah, it's loaded with these returning starters and, and all conference caliber guys. Um, now to pair with their offense, it's always pretty good. So uh, that's tough because, you know, I have Oklahoma one. I have Oklahoma State two, uh, Texas three, Iowa State four. So in your question there, uh, that's the second second and the fourth team compared to first and the third. So, I mean, um, I'd give it to, you know, the Oklahoma, Texas, but that's not so much because they're blue bloods. It's just kind of where I have them in the, um, in the rankings this year. So I want to talk a little bit about the big 12 as a whole. I guess I have a kind of one big question that I want to get out of the way. And then a couple that branch off of that. Do you think the big 12 has a bit of a bad reputation just because of Oklahoma's sort of shortcomings in the playoff? Yeah, so it's funny. I get this question asked um, when I'm on Pac-12 shows. They always ask about their na- their national perception and, um, you know, Big Ten shows as well. You know, they, they think that, oh, do people still call us slow? Like, stuff like this. So my take on this is, like, you know what? I mean, a lot of national college football fans are kind of lazy. They just they, – they don't want to dig into the detail as much as you'd hope them to. So when you hear things like, oh, the, the Big 12 is only offense – I mean, it's, it's mostly a lazy take. Now, is it home to some of the most unique and you know, innovative offenses? Sure. Uh, does it play at probably the highest tempo? Yes. Uh, but there's still solid defense here. Um, we just talked about Iowa State and TCU has been a defensive program for decades. And they were able to they just they just led the uh, the, the conference in draft picks last April. So, um, yeah, I think it's more nuanced than the average uh, college football fan from outside the Big 12 footprint would would talk about um, now. With Oklahoma consistently winning the league, um, yeah, I mean, you want you'd want your uh, your conference champ to show a little bit better on the on the playoff stage, but I don't really view it like that. I like to see you know the top five, six teams of each league, uh, you know, a, a solid core of teams. How are they performing against each other? And this year with the Big Twelve, uh, four teams ranked in the top twenty of, of my preseason poll. Uh, TCU is in the top thirty, and I think Baylor's close. So you're talking about half your league in the top thirty. Um, it's pretty strong. And it's actually the reason why I left Oklahoma out of the playoff this year, because I think that upper tier, that second through six or seven in the conference is improving. So I think that Oklahoma and the rest of the league with this round robin gauntlet uh, is going to get scraped with a loss or two. So, no, it's just a matter of how you view conference strength. I mean, if, if, you, if you value it only on if you can get a, a playoff team out of here, then OK, then no. But I view it deeper than that, more so you know, the cluster of teams. Um, would you say that the ACC Atlantic is more, is stronger than the big 12? No, they have a, an all time dynasty right now, Clemson. Um, so yeah, it's just all on how you define it and, and what level of detail uh, fans will go into. You're right on, right on board with kind of what my line of thinking was. This is one of the things about Iowa state really taking a step forward as a program and maybe Texas taking a little bit of a step back. It, almost works to the detriment of the big 12 where the middle of the conference is really, really good. Like they're probably underrated on a national scale. And, you know, the thing we get graded on is Oklahoma goes to the playoff and Joe Burrow throws seven touchdowns in the first half. He was going to, he was going to do that against literally anybody he played. Yeah. But he did it against Florida even and uh, Alabama. Right. So, yeah. um, I mean, they destroyed everybody, you know, tore up Clemson in the championship game, but the middle of the Big 12, I, I really think, is just is underrated on a national scale. And we do it's kind of that weird ladder where in most years you wouldn't think of Texas being even the third best team. You just automatically pencil Oklahoma and Texas in at one and two where, you know, programs like Iowa State, regrettably Baylor, you know, have really <laughs> taken a step up. So it's great football. It makes for really good week to week following. And 
maybe this is more of a rant. I just kind of wish that more national people would pay attention to how good the middle of the Big 12 really is. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I try and do that. Um, so another thing that I put in the book this year, it's it's a new uh, stack graphic and um, and stat I have is uh, it shows the offense and defense, uh, each coordinator back 10 years for every program. And what it does is it adjusts uh, all their stats and adjusts it to the opponent's strength first and then also the pace of play. Because let's put it this way, when when Oklahoma throws for 500 yards on 100 plays, but Ohio State throws for 500 on 50 plays, um, you know, one is more important. One is more impressive to me than the other. So a way to, you know, to, to account for pace of play and tempo, uh, I put this in there. And still, what, what's I, I was I was thinking that what it would do, it would scale down these big 12 offenses and, um, you know, and kind of expose it. But actually, I mean, it holds true. The, the big 12 still has the best offenses, um, even when you account for opponent strength and pace of play. So. Uh, and one one quick note on that. I was just fascinated by this. Um, I look back the last decade, uh, there were, you know, 1,200 or 1,300 FBS offenses. Only three ended up averaging eight plus yards per play. It ended up being 2017 Oklahoma, 2018 Oklahoma, 2019 Oklahoma. So um, I know that's only one program, but it just goes to show you just how incredible this uh, the the offenses are in this league. Yeah, Oklahoma's going to be an interesting program this year with a little bit of turnover there at the top. Dylan, I think you had something about Spencer Rattler. Yeah, I just wanted to know, I mean, we've seen just about every quarterback that, you know, lines up for Oklahoma get serious Heisman uh, hype. Um, how, and, and I know Oklahoma has weapons all over the field too for Rattler. Um, do you think Rattler can you know, be in Heisman talk by the end of the year? Or do you think it's kind of too soon for him to just plug in and become one of the best quarterbacks in, in the country? Yeah, so I think I've learned my lesson to stop doubting uh, Lincoln Riley's quarterback reload. I did it after Baker left. I was like, nah, there's no way they can keep this pace. And then after Murray left, I thought the same. So I'm not going to doubt this anymore. Um, the difference being, though, that those were experienced, um, you know, veteran quarterbacks coming in. Um who had started at other power five programs. So with, with Rattler, you have a guy uh, coming out of high school. I think he's now a redshirt freshman. He redshirted last year with very minimal game footage. Uh, it was funny. Like I said, I was trying to go watch all 10 of these quarterbacks in depth. Uh, all I could find was a couple scratchy highlight tapes and then um, one drive of them against South Dakota. So um, yeah, there's, there's limited film on the guy. Now you can see why it would, it would project to, you know, to a high level here. He was a five-star dual threat kid. Um, he looks the part. Um, he is not exactly a Jalen Hurts type where he's this huge tight end type guy. Uh, he's going to just truck opponents, but he has that shiftiness and that creativity in the pocket that you saw with, uh, with Baker and Murray. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's silly to put him in a, a Heisman top five right now, as it stands here in July, uh, having seen one drive against South Dakota. Now, that's not to say that um, if, if this offense clicks as it usually does, then, then yeah, the Oklahoma quarterback, whoever it is, would be up in Heisman talk. So uh, one thing I'm pretty, uh, pretty, you know, that I feel pretty good about for Oklahoma's sake is their offensive line is, again, veteran. Uh, I doubted it a little bit last year because they had to replace four starters. Um, but Bill Beatenbow, their O-line coach, did it again. He just reloads again and pumped out another Joe Moore Award finalist. So now uh, I think three or four of those guys are back. It's veteran and should be the best line, not only in the league, but could be in the country. So 
Uh, for a young quarterback, that's perfect. Um, a stable of running backs that are proven, that's that's good. Um, and the receivers, despite a couple uh, injuries and CeeDee Lamb leaving, it's still uh, it's still loaded with you know top 100 and five star kids. So yeah, he he walks into a perfect situation and scheme. So we'll see. Interesting. We bring up the Heisman a little bit because you're a you're a Heisman voter, correct? Yeah, I am. Um, so uh, you know, I launched Pick Six previews in 2012. Uh, the first seven years, we were graded the most accurate in the country. Um, you know, as compared to the ones you see on newsstands. Uh, so after 2019, though, that was my first real comprehensive book I put together. All 65 teams, a uh, ton of detail, stack graphics, everything. After that book went out, it kind of made the circles around the media, uh, media circles. And uh, yeah, I was I was invited to become a Heisman voter at the end of last season. So the ultimate honor. I was just blown away by it, and um, just love seeing all that that feedback and uh, t- seeing it take off nationally like this. Are you uh, looking forward to voting for Brock Purdy on, on your first ballot? Or, <laughs> well, you know, after talking with you guys, I think I need to get uh, Charlie Kolar up there, number one. <laughs> yeah, so, got a little redemption to make up yeah, for. If I ever want to be served a beer in Ames, I gotta, you know, I gotta atone for that. So. So what you're saying is Brock Purdy's on the radar. Oh, for sure. I mean, so here's the thing. I mean. And I don't want to speak for all voters, but you, you all see it in the in the results every year. It's almost become uh, the quarterback on the playoff team is who you vote for. But I'm trying to, I'm you know, I study all 66 of these Power 5 programs. I'm keeping an open mind, uh, all positions, all teams, right? So um, now, do I think wins and losses matter? Of course. Uh, I think for, for Purdy to get into the, the Heisman conversation, it's got to be, um, you know, an a 8, 9, 10 win year. Uh, leading them into some big environments, winning some big games, you know, national TV games and putting up even better numbers than last year. All that can happen. All that's on the table. Um, it's it, it would be silly to write off a guy here in July. So, yeah, he's definitely in the discussion. Uh, they were I had Iowa State ninth in my quarterback ratings uh, in my unit ranks, which for for an O line, you're talking about five or you know five or six players. But quarterback, it's literally just the starter. So I have him as a top 10 quarterback for this year. Um as we sit here. So yeah, he, he could definitely join the conversation. A lot of guys can. Yeah, I think if we get past that Iowa game in September, you know, come out on top, it'll, it'll really accelerate the hype train because the schedule is pretty favorable for the beginning of the year. You know, we start five, six and oh, fi- find ourselves somewhere in, you know, maybe the top 15 of the AP pool that could really get the hype moving. Yeah, for sure. And uh, with Iowa, that's gotta be frustrating for Iowa state fans. It's been a couple years now. Uh, close defensive struggles where maybe you've even, even outplayed them a couple years, uh, had some fluky stuff. I think the muff punt was, uh, was last year, stuff like that. So, I mean, that, that tends to, you know, even out over the years. So you just got to keep the faith there that you'll get past Iowa. This could be the year that would be with a, uh, a new starting quarterback for them. Um, their defense loses a lot of star power at each level. Um, and it's a short off season. So it's going to be tough to, to get Spencer Petras up to full speed at quarterback. So, Let's say you win that game. I, I have I have Iowa State ranked way above Iowa uh, in my preseason poll and analytics. So that would mean a likely five and zero start heading into Stillwater, and uh, you get the two Oklahoma teams back to back, and that'll be really be uh, make or break uh, on whether this will be a you know a Big Twelve title run or still have a shot at uh you know eight nine ten wins, which um, you know tens never happened in Ames. Uh, nine I think maybe once. So anything in that category yeah. is is all time all-time history level. So, yeah, start 5-0 and, and and see what happens against the Oklahomas. Trust us. We've been reminded of that fact a time or two. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah, we, we hear the 10 win thing a, a good amount on Twitter. All yeah, I need to know yeah. is that I can clip you saying that we're better than Iowa this year and last year was a fluke. <laughs> yeah, so no, and you know, as, as we talk on that real quick, um, so one of the main analytics I do is the game grader formula, it's called game grader. Uh, what it does is it looks at all the key stats of a game, scoring differential, yardage differential, per play metrics, you know, explosive long, long yardage plays. Anyway, it, it calibrates that down to a score and adjusts for opponent. Uh, that sounds like a word salad, but basically what it does is it proves that Iowa State was a lot better than that record last year. Um, it's kind of a case study, actually. They were 7-6, uh, and six, six loss team, right? But a lot of them were by a point or two or within a score, uh, and they actually ended up 18th overall in my game grader formula in the nation. So a six loss team, 18th in the country. Uh, something doesn't really add up there. So what it goes to show you is this is a team that was a lot stronger than that record. Um, and that tends to project positively the next year, uh, especially with this much continuity uh, on defense, returning starter, at quarterback, uh, coaching continuity in a weird in a weird offseason here. So. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm pretty high on Iowa State heading into 2020. And um, yeah. Bill, you got anything else? No, I think him saying that we're going to beat Iowa and start off 5-0 and <laughs> is, is exactly – I think you're going to get free beer names at least until the season starts. Yeah, yeah no for sure. Uh, one last thing I have for you, too, before we let you go. So this particular podcast is one that likes to place a friendly wager, you know, come, okay. come Saturday morning. So how can we use your magazine and your book to get better at gambling? Yeah, for sure. So I think that the book is valuable in the early season games. Um, so you're sitting here uh, in August and September and you're looking to maybe, you know, uh, put some money on some games um, and you don't really know. I mean, you might know the teams in your conference, but there are so many games on a given Saturday and especially a non-conference schedule. You don't know all the, the national opponents. I think this book is perfect because it gives you some context on that. It shows you numbers from last year, some analytics. But the key is, you know, no one wants to read about oh, Iowa State is 0.1215 in X metric, right? I, I put it back into very readable terms that any football guy would appreciate. Uh, the numbers are there. The underlying, you know, analytics are there, but they're readable. Uh, they're, they're clearly defined and they're, they're easy to follow. So I think if you want background on, on different opponents, um, on some random non-conference matchups you're seeing come across and you want to get some action on, I think it's very valuable in September when all this, uh, all the, the, pre- the previous year's data is still relevant. Now, once we hit October, November, a lot of this stuff might be different with injuries or um, who knows what. So I think in the first half of the season, book very valuable for gambling, um, just valuable even if you're not a gambler, just for um, you know a nice deep read on all these teams, more in-depth than you'd see on newsstands. Um, and then as we get into the midseason, I'm trying to put together some kind of uh, some weekly report because uh, I update my, ga- my game grader formula every week. I put it on Twitter. You'll see that come through. I uh, want to get some more write-ups mid-season to, you know, to add on to this. But this is great for the summer and for the first half of the year for sure. That's right. You heard it here first, guys. You know where to find it uh, if you want some great gambling advice. If people want to find your book or just, you know, keep in touch with you or follow along, where can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, so first off, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's been great talking to now two cycling podcasts uh, in this week. So. Uh, you can follow me at Pick Six Previews. That's all spelled out, um, and the website is PickSixPreviews.com. And on there, I have a couple sample pages because I know it's a newer product. Uh, a couple sample teams. You can see the level of detail I put in, uh, the set of uh, infographics and stats, 
Um, and then a couple of testimonials in there. I just got a big one uh, this week from ESPN's Chris Falica from Game Day, the Bear. Uh, so that was huge seeing that come through. But uh, and also, uh, I want to throw in a discount code to, to any interested Cyclone fans. Just type in Cyclones at checkout, uh, get a nice discount. And, um, and yeah, reach out on Twitter if you have any feedback or if you ever think of a stat you want to see researched, uh, I'm all ears. That's perfect. We'll, we'll put that in the episode description. And also tweet at him, like, if Charlie Kohler has 100 yards and two touchdowns in a game, just say, like, <laughs> hey, you know what you're missing. I want every <laughs> touchdown sent to me. So, yeah, no, I love it. Yeah, keep up the passion. Uh, again, I love finding gems like this. Last year I talked on a lot of Utah podcasts. It's, uh, it's reminding me of that where – um, you know, it's, it's more of a local, uh, in-state team. It doesn't have, get much national coverage, but the fans are crazy. They're passionate. Uh, they're thirsty for a winner and starting to finally get a, a little taste of it. And, uh, and it's taken off. So, um, a lot of credit to you guys hanging through some lean years and excited to see this thing continue to build. Couldn't have said it any better ourselves. Uh, Dylan, Brett, thank you very much. Again, that's Brett Ciencia of Pick 6 Previews.